Lord, we thank you for the truth that we are all children of the promise. We are all children under the covenant, the new covenant poured out in your blood, washed clean, Lord. Lord, you call us to run with endurance the race that is set before us, and it is a race of faith, Lord. We, we walk by faith and not by sight, but Lord, it's a glorious thing, and we fix our eyes on you, and Lord, ask that you would continue to guide our steps, give us everything that we need to take that next step of faith. Lord, where our faith is weak, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen it. Lord, we thank you for the fact that you do not, you do not punish us for that, that faltering in our faith from time to time, but Lord, your hand is constantly outstretched to us. And Lord, we come to you tonight in need of more and more and more of you, so we ask that you would reveal yourself to us in your word this evening. Lord, we thank you for this time, this place, this opportunity to fellowship, to worship, and to hear from you. So, Lord, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, change us and mold us more into your image, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, before you're seated, say hi to those around you and then grab your Bibles. How's everybody doing? Good? Right on. Like in this cool weather or do you like it hotter and less humid or? I'm a dry heat guy, I got to tell you. I'm I, uh, I love that. Thank you, Dan, for worship tonight. That I, I had heard, I, I don't remember the guy's name. I wasn't... I, didn't know Dan was going to sing that, lead us in that song, but there's a, he was a famous theologian, teacher, Bible scholar, taught at, you know, major universities all over the world, PhDs like crazy in theology, and towards the end of his life, he was kind of making a final tour through some of the schools that he, he had taught in, and he had an open session with a bunch of students, and one of the questions that was asked of him was, of all of the biblical truths, you know, and it, the question was worded in such a way that they were looking for this deep, deep answer. What is the thing that, that has most driven you or most grabbed a hold of you in your whole life? And he didn't, he didn't even hesitate. He said, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. <laughs> and I just, I love that. The first thing that we learn, you know, as kids when we're singing that, and that's, that is, guys, that's it. What's all about? Jesus loves me, <laughs> this I know. How do I know that? <laughs> Because his word tells me so, and he's written it on my heart. And anyway, praise God. All right. Well, a couple of quick announcements. Um, remember last week we talked about the PD challenge, police department challenge. The date we've set for that is August 30th to head down to that. But if you're interested in, and you haven't already contacted, or even if you have, just to be sure, we have a sign-up sheet outside. So at the, at the info desk, if you just give us your name and contact information, um, we'll get in touch with you about how to be a part of that. Um, 
already, if you would, though, be thank you cards from your family or whatever and drop, get those into, into the office. And like I said, August 30th, we'll be heading down there. Um, if you have this Friday afternoon, some time available, a couple hours maybe, um, right at about noon, we're going to start. We're, we're doing some office renovations, including some new carpet over in the new office. So we got to get everything moved out. The staff has been tasked with making sure that everything is boxed up and ready to move. We have to disassemble the cubicles and move the computers and the boxes and stuff. So we need some help with that. If you could spare a couple hours on Friday afternoon, come and stop by the office around noon. So... All right, so 2 Kings, we find ourselves tonight in chapter 3. The last couple of chapters as we began our study in 1 Kings last week, the main event, if you would, was the, the transferring of the mantle from Elijah to Elisha. And we saw that, you know, as that took place, Elijah taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot and, and the, Elisha witnessing that. And Elijah said, if you see it, you know that you'll have what you requested. And that was a double portion of what Elijah had, the spirit of Elijah, the double portion upon him. And then we saw Elisha already walking in that, that prophetic gifting and in in the power of the Lord as we finished up chapter 2. And can anybody tell me the main lesson we took away from last week? Don't make fun of bald people, remember? Right? It's right there. It's right there at the end of the chapter. No, actually, you know, it, it, it's funny. People make fun, of, make fun of us that are, they say, follically challenged or whatever. The truth of the matter is God only made so many perfect heads and he covered the rest of them with hair. So, <laughs> amen. <laughs> All right. Uh, chapter three. Now, Jehoram... The son of Ahab became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel's sin. He did not depart from them. Jehoram here is the son of Ahab. He is the brother of Ahaziah. We saw, we looked at Ahaziah's short reign last week. He was the one who fell through the lattice and and was injured in the fall and and sent for a word from you know these other gods, so to speak, as to you know if, if he's gonna. If he was going to live or not, Elijah intercepted him. And if you were here last week, you know the story. Very short reign. He did not have an heir. He did not have a son. So it is passed on to his brother, younger brother, Jehoram, son again of Ahab, who was killed in battle, his wife Jezebel. Notice it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother. They worshipped Baal, again, the prophets of Baal, and we saw the, the competition between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. We, the, the, the wickedness and evil that was brought in by Ahab and Jezebel, it says that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father. Guys, it's, just because you don't worship Satan doesn't mean that you're right with God. <laughs> the, the, the point here is just because he did one thing in getting rid of this, this Baal worship, he f- still fell far short of what is needed or what was, what was commanded of him as the king, as the leader of the, the, the children of Israel, the northern ten tribes. 
It says that he clung to the sins of Jeroboam. And we saw that many chapters ago. Jeroboam, his sin was not the idolatry of worshiping a god a false god, his idolatry was wrapped up in the fact that he changed the worship of the true and living God. He, di- he created the golden calves and placed them in the two different places and says, this is Yahweh, worship Yahweh here. And again, the point is, again, that idolatry can take on other forms. It's not just worshiping Buddha. It's not worshiping Muhammad that is only idolatry. Guys, if we, if we change who Jesus is and who we worship, that is idolatry. If we change anything about the Lord Jesus as he, is, as he has clearly displayed himself to us, the true and living God in his word, we have created an idol. If we make a PC Jesus, we've made an idol. Jesus said, go and make disciples of all the world and teach them and command them to follow most of what I said. (laughs) I love you guys. You're paying attention. It's early on, though. I know I'm going to lose some of you as we go. No, I'm just kidding. All of what I commanded. He doesn't leave that open to us to say, you know what, It, it, it is the 21st century and so, you know, some people are going to take issue with certain things that Jesus said. So, so we'll take that out. And guys, we do that, we create an idol. It's not, that Jesus can't save you. The, 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 and that's what, we, it's not up to us to change anything in the word. He, he, though he did some things, like I said, did that one thing, it still did evil in the sight of the Lord made with Israel to follow that. Not like his father and his mother. Guys, it's not, we're not graded on a curve. We don't get points for being better than other people. It's the outline for us clearly in the word as we follow the true and living God. Well, now, Mesha, verse four, the king of Moab was a sheep breeder and used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. This was an annual tribute that was given from Moab since they were conquered long ago. This was a continual tribute year after year. But when Ahab died, the king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel. So this king now takes advantage of the fact that Ahab, a strong ruler, a very wicked one, but a strong one, continuing to hold things down as they were. Now his death, now his younger son, he died shortly after. Now it's even a younger son that's left in control. This king takes advantage of that, says, I'm, I'm done paying the tribute that we have. The, and king Jehoram went out of Samaria at that time and mustered all Israel. So he gathered all of the troops of Israel. Then he went and sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? Now this is a, this is a smart thing for this young king to do. He's going to Jehoshaphat, the king of the southern tribes of Judah, to ask for his assistance. Now, as we've studied in the, in the past, the, the, the past kings have fought against each other. But things have changed a little bit now because of an alliance that was made. We talked of this a couple of weeks ago. One of Ahab's daughters married Jehoshaphat's son. 
So there's been this alliance now. So now here we have King Jehoram. His sister is married to the King Jehoshaphat's brother or son. So there's this connection. There's a family relation. But it goes further than that because Moab attacked Judah, the, the southern tribes, a year earlier and were soundly defeated by the hand of the Lord. Jehoshaphat's army defeated them. That's told to us in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. So... This young Jehoram, though not a, a great leader, is, is smart in this aspect. He goes to Jehoshaphat. Unfortunately, Jehoshaphat makes an, an, a, a mistake that he's made before. He said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people are as your people. My horses as your horses. If that sounds familiar, that's exactly what he said to, to, to um, Jehoram's dad, Ahab, when Ahab came to him and said, will you go and fight with me? He said the same thing then, and he followed Ahab into the battle, even though Ahab, after they received word from a, from a godly prophet that Ahab's going to die in battle, they shouldn't go, Jehoshaphat still goes along, even after Ahab says, I got a great idea. You dress up like the king, you wear all the kingly clothes, I'll dress up like a common soldier. You stand up on the hill, I'll go out into battle. Jehoshaphat goes along with that idea. And then, as we saw, all of the armies start chasing after Jehoshaphat, and he starts running and screaming, and they realize, hey, that's not Ahab, and that's who they wanted was Ahab. He didn't learn from that. He didn't learn when, later on, as we saw at the end of 1 Kings, at the end of 1 Kings, he tried to make an alliance with Ahaziah, with that whole shipping business. And the Lord shattered the ships. Over two. Still doesn't learn. Now here again, they come and will you make this alliance? And again, he says, I am as you are. My people are as your people. No, they're not. No, they're not. Jehoshaphat was a godly king. We see that. He loved the Lord. He followed the Lord. He wasn't perfect, but his reign was marked as one that he loved God and followed God. So he's not like Ahaziah. He's not like Jehoram. He's not like Ahab. And here again, that idea that we can somehow have alliances with ungodly. Guys, the Bible is clear. We are not to be unequally yoked. We have to be involved in the world in order to affect the world, but we cannot be infected by the world by becoming part of the world. Does that make sense? And, and we, can, we are called clearly to not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And it's, and it's clear the Bible teaches that, yet so many people do. And make the same mistake a few, over and over and over again. Here we see this. I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses are as your horses. I wonder if the horses were smart enough to go, huh? <laughs> I've been through this. I was in that battle before. I, I, I don't know why. He said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. So now we're going to get the battle strategy, and it's a good one. They're going to go down south around the Dead Sea and attack from the south. Coming from the north into Moab, it's heavily fortified. They're going to go down south around the Dead Sea and come on up. Great, great battle plan. Catch them by surprise from, from the south. So the king of Israel went with the king of Judah and the king of Edom, and they made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Great plan, one problem. You're going to go down south of the Dead Sea? You ought to bring some water. 
it'd be like heading out into the desert here. And I got to wonder how many, how far they got away from saying, hey, where's the water? I thought you were bringing the water. No, I thought you were bringing the water. Anybody ever forget your wife's suitcase and she swears she told you to bring it and you said you never said that? Never happened to me either. I can't believe I just confessed that right in front of all of you. Good thing is we can edit that out. And it, verse 10, then the king of Israel said, alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Isn't that just like human nature? They make the decision to make this trek down south. He's the one, by the way, he's the one who, yeah, got rid of Baal, but still isn't worshiping the true and living God. They're the ones who go down through. They're the ones who forgot the water. And then when things get tough, oh, look at what God's doing to us. I'm going to blame God for this. We kick God out of the schools. We tell him that he's not, in, he's not allowed in our courts, that all of this kind of stuff. And then when something happens, oh, what is God doing? You know, but that's just, that's flesh to push back that it's, that it's the Lord when it's just repercussions of decisions that we make. Well, verse 11, but Jehoshaphat said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of the, of the Lord by him? Jehoshaphat, again, great idea. He had this when he was with Ahab before. Let's inquire of a prophet of God. The only problem here is he should have done that in verse 7. When, the, when, this, when this all started, when, when, the, when the king came to him and said, you want to you wanna go into battle together? That would have been a good time to consult the Lord, but he didn't. It says, and one of the king's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Elisha's servant is what it's saying. He's the, the prophet. He's the one. Word travels. Now, this is really cool. This is really cool because just at first reading through that, Elisha is here. Elisha was a prophet north in the tribes of Israel, Mount Carmel, northern Israel. He's all the way down south, and he wasn't just a traveling companion with these guys. What was he doing way down there? God's hand. <laughs> calling his man all the way down south, and then when, when, it's, when it's needed there, there it is. The answer is right there, as we're going to see. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, what do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give us into the hand of Moab. Again, God's fault. Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you. So pretty, again, taken up after his, his teacher, his tutor, Elijah, just calling it straight out like it is. King of Israel comes up to him. He says, what do I have to do with you? What are you coming to me for? Go to the prophets of your mom and your dad. Go to the prophets of Baal. Go ask them. See how that works out for you. If it wasn't for the fact that you're with godly Jehoshaphat right now, I wouldn't even give you an audience. Now, he's pretty, you can tell he's kind of worked up here, and I love this, because I don't, uh, I don't know if you've ever gotten to that point, but I'll, I'm going to, again, confession time. I left my wife's luggage one time. Yeah, confession. Another, another confession. There's times when I get kind of worked up. 
when, when I, things get into my day, when things get you know, going, and I know that there's ministry that I need to do. I know that, I, man, I need to seek the Lord. I, I need to hear the Lord. When I'm putting a message together or working on some things, I'm like, Lord, I'm just not, just not, but I know that there's something I gotta work through. Ever been there? It's just the stresses of the day or whatever it is. I love what Elisha does here because it works. I, it works every time for me. Bring me a minstrel, a musician. And it came about when the minstrel played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Elisha says, in the presence of this, this, this ungodly king, he gets all worked up. I can't even believe it. It just makes me sick to look at you. I need a worship. I, got, I need some praise music. I need some worship music. I'll tell you, I love Saturday mornings. I come and I put finish working on the outline. My favorite time of the week is when I get home on Saturday, late morning, early afternoon. I put my headphones on. I get on my elliptical machine, and I just worship the Lord for an hour. And oh, it's just awesome, awesome. Right? I mean, worship that, the music and, and singing to the Lord and, and praising. Just get your heart right. And I love seeing this in, in Elisha. And then it says, the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet the valley shall be filled with water so that you shall drink, both you and your cattle and your beasts. So here's what Elisha tells the, the kings. Go, go spread this word around. Start digging trenches. Start digging ditches. In the desert, you haven't had anything to drink. You're dying of thirst. You're weak. You're parched. Start digging. Start digging trenches. I wonder what the re initial reaction from a lot of the soldiers was. Just dig trenches, dig trenches. And I love this too. He says, you will not see the wind. You will not, you'll, you will not see the rain. Here we see, and we're gonna see it laid out for us a, a couple more times here, this walk of faith. They are required to take the first step in faith. Literally, you can put yourself in, the, in this situation. Just think about this for a second. You realize that you probably only have a few hours left. There's no way you understand. You cannot go back. If you tried to make it back home, you'd die of thirst. You know you can't keep going on. You're going to die of thirst. So how are you going to spend the last part of your, get, working yourself into a sweat, digging a ditch? But that's what God is saying. I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me with this last ounce of energy that you have. I need you to dig. I need you to trench. <laughs> and, he's, then, and he says, you're not going to see the process. It would be a lot easier if while I'm digging that ditch, I start seeing the rain clouds start to form, the thunderheads. If I look down to the south and I saw the windstorm coming and the clouds coming, like up from Tucson, you know, okay, I'm starting to dig because I know it's going to be full. God says, you're not going to see any of that. You're not going to see the process. You're not going to understand the plan. It doesn't make any sense. But if you step out in faith, you will realize the provision. It's going to happen. Dig the ditch and let God fill it. <laughs> do your part and trust God to do his. 
this is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. I love that. If you don't have that underlined in your Bible and you're an underliner, underline that statement. The things that we think are impossible, the things that we think are beyond anything, it's, it's nothing to the Lord. It's but a slight thing to him. When we're gonna exhaust ourselves to this very end, he says, you just trust me in that because my part, I got it handled. It's a slight thing. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. In addition to the water, you're gonna win the battle at the end of this. And there's, there's so much in this, guys, but I guess just if you're in a dry time and you don't think you have even enough energy to keep going, keep digging. Keep digging. Keep digging. Yeah, I've, I've, I've had morning devotions, you know, three or four days in a row now, and I keep seeking the Lord for something, and I'm not getting the answer that I'm looking for. Keep digging. I, I don't know how many more days I can go. Keep digging. He is faithful. He is always faithful. It might be the very end. It might be the last ounce of strength you have, but he will come through. He might, that might be part of the process to get you to the very end of yourself. I know that's been the process with me several times. I had to get to the end of me first. I had to empty the canteen completely. You won't see the process sometimes and you won't understand the plan. But if you do your part, he will do his. He gives them instructions then for the next piece of it too. I will give them into your hands. Then you shall strike every fortified city, every choice city, fell every good tree, stop all of the springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. Destroy it completely. Wipe it out totally. Leave nothing left of Moab. It happened in the morning about the time of the offering of the sacrifice that behold, water came by the way of Eden Edom, and the country was filled with water. Can you imagine that again? You wake up and all the ditches that you dug, full of water, just like God said. Now, and then here's the thing again. Now, on top of that, so they drink the water, they're refreshed. On top of that, now all the Moabites heard that the kings had come up to fight against them, and all who were able to put on armor and and older were summoned and stood on the borders. They bring out everybody. They arose early in the morning and the sun shone on the water and the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. Then they said, this is blood. The kings have surely fought together and they have slain one another. Now therefore, Moab to the spoil. They look from their vantage point and their angle and the water looks like there's blood everywhere. They see everybody laying down after they've had their morning gallon of water and just kind of kicking back and praising God, saying, look, they killed each other. Let's go and take all the spoil. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites arose and struck the Moabites so that they fled before them and they went forward into the land, slaughtering the Moabites. 
Thus they destroyed the cities, and each one threw a stone on every piece of good land and filled it. So they stopped up all the springs of water, felled all the good trees, and until in Kir Harasheth, only they left its stones. However, the slingers went about it and struck it. When the king of Moab saw that the battle was far too fierce for him, he took with him 700 men who drew swords to break through to the king of Edom, but they could not. So they, they get, basically they run them all back into this one city and they, they're holed up in there. And this, this thing with the, the, the slingers, they're, they got them all there. And so they got, they got the, the slings with the stones and anybody pops their head up over the wall, they're slinging stones at them. The king of Moab realizes now there's no way out. We ha- they're, they're gonna, they'll starve us out of this place. We ha- they have a siege going on. They have it completely surrounded. No food or supplies in or out. You pop your head off, it gets popped off. So we, we're, we're in trouble. So he grabs 700 men. They draw their swords. They're going to go and fight their way out. That doesn't work. So he heads back into the city. And look at verse 27. Then he took his oldest son, who was to reign in his place, and offered him as a burnt offering on the wall. And there came great wrath against Israel, and they departed from him and returned to their own land. What we do know from this verse is the king of Moab took his oldest son and sacrificed him on the wall so that everybody could see a burnt offering sacrifice to his god, Molech. That was part of their worship of this god was to child sacrifices typically small children they'd heat up the arms of this bronze or molten or metal god to the point where it was incandescent and they would toss their infant babies onto his arms and the, and burn the the babies alive that was part of their side but here he takes his oldest son an adult son who is next in line for the throne and does this sacrifice in front of all of the people. Now, that we do know from what this is. The rest of it, how that's interpreted, there's a lot of different ideas around what the second half of that verse means. What, what we can deduce is Israel left. They, the, the Israel, Judah, the, uh, the, they, they left in disgust probably after seeing that. And, and the... The, the wickedness, the deranged action of this king. They did not completely wipe them out. Now, just as one interesting bit of history before we move on, in 1868, there was uncovered in an archaeological dig what's called the Moabite stone. And they were able to piece it together after some vandals you know, basically destroyed it and sold off the pieces. It's been put back together largely, and most of 2 Kings chapter 3 is recorded from the Moabite viewpoint. This king who sacrificed his son boasts at the end of it that it was their god, the, the Molech or Chemosh, that, that defeated then and, and sk- chased everybody off. But that other than that, that it's, it's recorded, history. Again, backing up this, but, but the, the, the truth of, of God's word. Well, chapter four, shifting gears from that scene. Now, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, your servant, my husband, is dead, 
And do you know that your servant feared the Lord? And the creditor has come to take my two children to be his slaves. That was, that was common in that time. If you couldn't pay your debts, one of the ways that you could pay a debt was to become a slave to the person, to your creditor. Now, since he, the, the father has died and the widow does not have a way to pay this, this creditor is coming to take as slaves her two sons. So she goes to Elisha explaining the situation and he says to her, verse 2, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house except for a jar of oil. That word jar there is literally a flask of oil. That's not, don't, that's not like a gallon jar of olive oil. We're talking a flask probably of anointing oil. And that's all, she said, that's all I have in the whole house. Then he said, go borrow vessels at large for yourself from all your neighbors, even empty vessels. Do not get a few. And you shall go in and shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out into all these vessels and you shall set aside what is full. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They were bringing the vessels to her and she poured. When the vessels were full, she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not one more vessel left. And the oil stopped. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons can live on the rest. See an amazing miracle that takes place. Again, a flask. Even if it was a big jar, this is a, a mir huge miracle. But it's the, the point, that, that word there, it's the only time it's used, and it does mean a small flask of oil. And she says that that's all that we have. That's all they had materially. That's all that this, this man of God left his family materially, but that's not all that he left his family. He left his family something far greater, an amazing spiritual legacy. The faith that this family exhibits, no doubt, comes from the part of the, partly because of the, the godly man that her husband, their father, was. Didn't leave anything for them physically, materially, but left a great spiritual legacy. That faith goes on to, to provide for them as they step out and walk in that faith. And while I am not advocating, don't leave your family anything materially, that's not the point of this. My point would be far greater than anything you could leave your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, far more than anything materially, is a spiritual legacy. Walking, teaching the ways and the word of God to them, living that out in front of them, that they would see godly parents and godly grandparents and model after you, leaving that legacy. They the challenge that is given to them, as Elisha says, go and borrow all of the vessels that you can from all of your neighbors. Go and, and get every vessel that you possibly can. And we see then, as this works its way out, that the supply would have never run out as long as the vessels kept coming. The supplier, guys, of our blessing never runs out. His grace, his blessing on us is infinite. I, 
I, I, I get blown away by that at times. When I look at, again, how, how, peop, how he continually pours out his blessing. And it, when, when an infinite supply is available and he pours out a ton, how much is left? An infinite supply. And so that, that too, guys, we should never covet a blessing that God gives to somebody else. Because it doesn't mean just because he gave, that's less for me. Because the supply is infinite. The only thing that, that hinders the outpouring of the blessing is the availability of the vessel. Do not get a few, he says. I love that. Do not get a few. The limit of the miracle that's going to take place in the text here is based on the number of vessels that are brought. That's it. She's pouring out of this flask. Just imagine as this, you know, she keeps, she keeps pouring it and it keeps filling up these big, huge containers. And it just keeps coming. Keeps coming. <laughs> keeps coming. Guys, there's so much in this. But again, the first thing that I want to underscore here is the step of faith that was required. This is all we have. And the command was, go and get a bunch of empty vessels and then just start pouring oil in it. Just start pouring the flask into the empty vessels. And the amount of faith that's needed to go get more than one vessel. To go get more than, I mean, they start filling up the room. Keep going and getting more. Keep going and getting more. That's, that's a huge step of faith. It could look kind of foolish if you go get all of these vessels and then you pour it in and six drops come out and... But they believed it. They believed that, that, that go and fill the room with the vessels. She kept that, okay, next one. He goes, mom, that's it. They're all gone. We don't have any more. Guys, a little bit, a little bit placed in the hands of God. Miracles. I mean, we see that over and over in the word, right? I mean, we see that. A sling in the hand of David takes care of Goliath, one shot. Moses, what's in your hand, Moses? A staff. Throw it down, becomes a snake. Hold it over the... Cast the net on the other side, Peter. Fish it all night, but okay. What do you got there? What, what's in that basket? Five loaves and two fish. What are you going to do with that? You just watch. Bring as many vessels as you can. Notice, notice another key word, I think, because it says in verse 3, for yourselves, all your neighbors, empty vessels. Empty vessels. The Bible tells us that we have this great treasure in what? Earthen vessels, right? Guys, you want to be filled up? Come empty. Lord, empty me of me and fill me with you. So she went, shut the door behind her. Step of faith. Dan said something at the beginning, and I say amen. You know, the whole idea of when 
this walk of faith that we have. Before you come to the Lord, you know, or, or if you've been, that, you know, man, I don't, this is boring. My, my, my brother-in-law, he said, you know, you guys, being a Christian has got to be so boring. You couldn't be further from the truth. You could not be further from the truth. I, 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 say, this, I say this all the time, and I, I say it as honestly as I've ever said anything in my life. If you guaranteed me success and everything else that I was chasing in my flesh days, if you guaranteed me absolute success and all I got to do is switch places, you couldn't, you couldn't tear me out of this seat. No way. Because what I desired so much then was boring. It was, it was, it was now I look back on that and like Paul, it's a pile of rubbish. And I used to get, I used to get together with all of my other unsaved friends and we'd compare our garbage piles. And we'd say, you know, well, mine's bigger than yours and all this. And I look back at that. How stupid was that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't go back there. My life today, this, this walk of faith, it's, it's, it's too exciting at times. There's too much. Lord, I, slow down. <laughs> I'll tell you guys, if you're, if you're, if you're walking with, if you're a Christian here tonight and your life is boring, it's because of your lack of faith in it. Because you're not stepping out. It's because you're not bringing enough empty vessels. It's because you're not digging the ditches. It's not a supply problem. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's a promise. That's a promise in his word. And it's a promise I can stand on. I, 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 I know it. I know it. I know it. I know it. Because he's changed my heart. He's given me every desire that he's placed in there. Now there came a day, verse 8, when Elisha passed over to Shunem, where there was a prominent woman a woman who, of wealth, and she was well-known in the area. And she persuaded him to eat food. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. So he went through this town often, and this woman fed him. And this one time, and man, she must be a great cook, because every time he goes by, he turned in there. You got, we all have our favorite restaurants, right? Every time he goes to Shunem, he's going to that lady's house. And she said to her husband, Behold, I perceive that this is a holy man, of God passing by us continually, please let us make a little walled upper chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in here. One day he came there and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to Gehazi, his servant, call this Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him and he said to her, say now to her, behold, you have been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken of by the, by the king or the captain of the army? But basically, you've been so kind to us. How can I repay you? What can I do for you? He's connected. I, would you want me to speak to somebody for you? And she answered, I live among my own people. Basically, her response is, I don't need anything. I, I'm very blessed. 
I'm blessed where I am here. She wasn't in it for anything. She wasn't trying to gain some kind of advantage. She didn't have an agenda. So he said, what then is to be done for her? And Gehazi answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. He said, call her. So she left. He asked Gehazi, well, what am I, what are we going to do? She, she doesn't have a child. Her husband is old. So she stood in the doorway. Then he said, at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Don't, don't get my hopes up. Don't tell me that. The woman conceived and bore a son. Is that... Try not to move. I'm not doing when I do that. Is that. Then the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elisha had said to her. So she's blessed beyond imagination with this. All right. So something that she hadn't even asked for. It wasn't something that she was looking for yet. She's blessed in this regard. When the child was grown, now that does not mean like an adult, that weaned, probably the, the couple of commentaries I read talking about that, trying to find out what that was, probably six, seven years old, because we're going to see it's, the child is on her lap, and then she carries him upstairs in a moment. So when the child was grown, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers, goes out to the field. And he said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon, and then he died. So something, heat stroke, something, we don't, we don't know what it was, but it, it takes the life of this child. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. So she carries him upstairs, puts him on Elisha's bed, then she called to her husband and said, Please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. He said, Why will you go to him today? It's neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, It will be well. So she doesn't tell her husband what's going on, basically trying to keep him away from the house and get me a, get me a servant and a donkey. She saddled the donkey, said to her servant, Drive and go forward. Do not slow down the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God at Mount Carmel. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to Gehazi, his servant, Behold, there is the Shunammite. Please run now to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. He could tell that something was wrong. He could tell that something was amiss with her based on the pace that she was coming, no doubt. So he sends Gehazi, go find out what's going on. He goes and asks, and she says, everything is fine. When she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught hold of his feet. And Gehazi came near to push her away. We're going to find out a little bit more about this guy next chapter. But though he's a servant of Elisha, he's got a heart issue. And we see that displayed a couple of times here already in trying to push her away. But the man of God said, let her alone, for her soul is troubled within her. And the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. I find that, I find that fascinating. Elisha is it, tr trying to figure out what's going on. And as she comes up, he's puzzled by the fact that God has not revealed this to him. 
I find that fascinating because he's amazed. He's blown away that God didn't tell him something. Does that blow you away when God does tell you something? I mean, doesn't that, isn't that a special time when, you know, you have those moments like, oh, man, Lord, I, I know that was for me. Or, man, that was so awesome. I love those moments. Guys, those moments are available to us way more often than we receive them. Again, it's a faith thing. It's, a, it's not a supply thing. <laughs> and I love this. What a great, again, picture of a man that in this Elisha. He's blown away. Something's weird. God hasn't told me what's going on here. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And he knew right away what that meant. Then he said to Gehazi, gird up your loins and take my staff in your hand and go your way. If you meet any man, do not salute him. And if anyone salutes you, do not answer him and lay my staff on the lad's face. Basically like, you take my staff and run like crazy. We'll, we'll come, we're coming behind you, but you got to get there and you got to get there right away. Don't stop to talk to anybody. When you get there, put, the, put my staff on him. The mother said, the mother said of the lad, the mother of the lad said, I'm sorry, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. And he arose and followed her. Then Gehazi passed on before them and laid the staff on the lad's face, but there was no sound or response. So he returned to meet him and told him the lad has not awakened. When Elisha came into the house, behold, the lad was dead and laid on his bed. So he entered, shut the door behind them both, and prayed to the Lord. And he went up and he laid on the child, put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself on him, and the flesh of the child became warm. Then he returned and walked in the house once back and forth and went up and stretched himself on him, and the lad sneezed seven times, and the lad opened his eyes. He called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So she called her so he called her, and when she came to him, he said, take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground, and she took up her son and went out. So here we see again another miracle, God using Elisha in this, the, the miracle that this child is now raised from the dead, restored to her mother. We're going to see this in a few chapters. Gehazi is telling this story to the, ki the, the king. You're not going to believe this. This, this. this child died and Elisha, da, 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 da. while he's telling the story, in walks the Shunammite and the son. Well, there they are. That, that's who I'm telling you about right there. Again, a, t a great testimony in that whole thing. Well, let's finish the chapter here. When Elisha returned to Gilgal, there was famine in the land as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him. He said to his servant, Put on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. Then one went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it in his lap full of wild gourds and came and sliced them into the pot of stew, for they did not know what they were. Just don't put stuff in stew that you don't know what it is. So they, they poured it out for the men to eat, and as they were eating of the stew, they cried out, and said, O oh man of God, there is death in the pot, and they were unable to eat. There is, there is famine in the land. If you're, just a couple of things, again, if you don't know what it is, 
Don't put it in the stew. If there's famine in the land and people are looking for food everywhere and you come across a whole vine that's full of gourds, probably a reason that nobody else has eaten it yet. <laughs> but they take this, they cut it up, they put it in the stew, and they, they cry out, there's death in the pot. Obviously, again, they're talking to other guys, you know, you're, if you'd never say that to your wife, right? And if you would, don't. <laughs> if there's death in the pot, you eat it. And you smile while you're eating it. <laughs> I don't have time to tell you that story. It is probably good. Verse 41. He said, now, now bring meal. And he threw it into the pot and said, pour it out for the people that they may eat. And there was no harm in the pot. Now, a man came from Baal Shalishah, I didn't look that up, that pronunciation before, and brought the man of God bread of his first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in his sack. Now, again, there's famine. There's a lot of hunger going on. Everybody's hungry. This guy shows up with a bunch of fresh bread. And he said, Elisha, give them to the people that they may eat. Give it out to the people first. And his attendant said, what? <laughs> well, I said it before a hundred men. I'm going to put this bread out before a hundred guys. There's not going to be anything left. They'll devour it. It'll be all gone. But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it out before them and they ate and had some left over, over according to the word of the Lord. Again, faith. Trust in the Lord. Do, do what it is that he, he tells you to do and trust. And guys, we're never disappointed when we do that. Never. This guy, what? What are you kidding? If I, if I give that all out, there's not going to be anything left for me. Don't worry about that. God will take care of you. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. All the other things will be provided unto you. Faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, again, the example of Elisha, a man of great faith, a man who got so used to hearing your voice and hearing from you that when you were silent, when you withheld something from him, it shocked him. Lord, we want to be more like that. We want to hear you. We want to hear you clearly. Lord, we want to be men and women of faith. And Lord, we know that you are faithful. Lord, we know that in this walk that you've called us to, it is a walk of faith. And Lord, our desire is to please and honor you in all respects. And your word tells us without faith, it's impossible to please you. So Lord, meet each one of us right where we are in this faith journey. Help our unbelief in those areas where we, where we lack the faith that we need. Lord, for those of us who may be in a dry time right now, give us the, the courage and the strength to stick the shovel in one more time and dig a little deeper. Lord, we know that you are faithful. 
that your grace, your mercy, your blessing never run out. We thank you for that. Go before us this week now, the remainder of this week. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.
Let's go. 